We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I am Dr. Kelly Brogan, and today I am going to be talking about The Reclaimed Woman, which just so happens to be the title of my new book that is dropping June 25th. And if you have any experience in the authorship world, you know that the process of gestating a book is no different than that of gestating a human in its arc. And I have been on a journey since Own Yourself, which was published in 2019, of ripening and readying what it is that I want to contribute to the collective on the subject of so-called femininity and 
what so many of us women are engaged in when it comes to self-reclamation, self-ownership, self-relating, and self-mastery. So I had a lot of trouble getting a book deal this time. So I was in a position, I guess, magically, mysteriously to secure a seven-figure book deal for my first book with a mainstream publisher and slowly have gotten canceled over the years. I was lovingly canceled by my agent and co-writer after that book. And you know, they basically just said, we're not going to be walking the rest of your journey. Like you're too radical and the other authors in our stable are complaining. And I got it, you know, I cried and it made sense to me. And with my second book, I went agentless to Hay House and have since been canceled on many different fronts. I got wrapped up in what I understand to be some sort of political right-wing identification in the pandemic times, which of course has now, I have literally never made, have you ever heard me make a political statement publicly? I am an apolitical gal. And somehow I got wrapped up in QAnon business and was seemingly set aside. So I went shopping (laughs) to different publishers and was not able to secure a deal this time because I am handling the hot topic of sex roles and feminism. And in that world, there is a, what I would describe as a dogmatism around what you are allowed to believe when it comes to inclusivity and the irony therein, which of course is that I am radically excluded from so many of these inclusive camps. So I have landed in a very loving and comfortable home with Skyhorse and will be delivering this manuscript to you all very shortly. So I wanted to share a little bit about it because as so many of you know, I'm learning that more and more of you are just, I'm like dropping into your ecosystem and you haven't necessarily been on the journey with me from, you know, whatever it was, 2014 until now, as I walk the Jungian path of actualization home to myself, certainly looks like I am either having, again, with no small irony, many mental breakdowns, or I am on some sort of archetypal path that involves some elements that are universal when it comes to the remembrance that we as humans are in a position to experience. And of course, I can only speak as a woman, although I have been making a very serious study of man-woman dynamics and learning what I can about what men say about their experience as well. So in my process, as I have observed in so many of our processes, ruptures, and specifically what in psychology would be called a rupture of empathy, have been the defining requisite experience before I expand into a new, more inclusive, more encompassing identity, more permissive identity. And these ruptures have taken some, there have been so many, but they have taken some pretty specific shapes, the tears have. And when I look back, you know, many of you may know me for my health reclamation opinions and perspectives around, you know, medical informed consent and bodily sovereignty. When I look back, that began to rumble and the full rupture took about three, you know, sort of pressure waves in 
2009-2010 in my fellowship year. So I, in my fellowship year, specialized as one of the first 300 reproductive psychiatrists, which means that I was specialized in prescribing to pregnant and breastfeeding women. And I was pregnant with my firstborn that year. And so I had my first experience of cognitive dissonance around this industry that I had pledged my loyalty to. You know, we could call it a cult in many ways, but I was a card carrying believer in allopathy and had put many years of blood, sweat, and tears and sleepless nights and hundreds of thousands of debt into this bond with a very parentified system. And it wasn't until I had a moment when I was writing a prescription for Zoloft for a pregnant woman in front of me that this dissonance began to surface almost like, you know, an effervescence (laughs) to my cognitive awareness. And I was in the practice of providing informed consent and letting these women know about the then, you know, 25,000 cases in the registry data, which was passively collected by pharmaceutical companies that suggests that there aren't signals of, you know, what's called teratogenicity or, you know, the malformations that might result from other chemical and toxic exposures. So we don't see those with antidepressants and Therefore, the untreated depression or anxiety or OCD or panic or whatever it was, you know, bipolar disorder or so-called schizophrenia that you are dealing with would be far riskier in your pregnancy than the exposure to this chemical. So here I am, you know, giving this woman the learned and studied spiel. And I had this voice rise up inside of me that said, I would never take this. I don't care what you say. (laughs) I would never take this as a pregnant woman. And that was inconvenient, right? Because why would there be some sort of ethical double standard for my patients and for myself? So I ignored that as you do when you're not ready to expand the reality box that you've been, you know, cozied into. And then it was around my preparation for birth. So I should have had a very medicalized birth as somebody who used to believe in elective C-section and who certainly had enough uh, collaboration with obstetrics, given my specialty, to believe that they knew what they were doing, right? Instead, I fired my OB and I began to work with a midwife because of the data, because I was practiced at looking at the data and I concluded that what I you know, then saw in the literature was less than 30% of obstetrics is based on tier one evidence, that this was not evidence-based, that these interventions were just consensus. I didn't want any of them. And it's again, not because, you know, I was, I was eating McDonald's at the time. So it's, it's not because I was, you know, some kind of hippie earth mama or something like that. It was literally because I was triggered and <laughs> frustrated and indignant and righteous around, you know, psychiatry being more evidence-based, at least how I was practicing it, than what my colleagues were up to. Around that time, I also had a patient who had a second trimester stillborn. And this was after I then found out she received the double flu shot that season. And because I was prescribing to her also, I took a very deep dive into the teratogenicity and adverse events data surrounding that intervention and found that there was none. So I had sort of a fire lit within me through my own research and went on to have a natural birth 
because of this, you know, sort of awakening to how sometimes what we are told about the evidence is not actually the case. Of course, this was in another specialty, not in my own. <laughs> and then it wasn't until 10 months postpartum that I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And that same voice came up again and said, because it will, and said, I do not want to take a prescription medication. Like almost like out of laziness. Like I don't want to walk this prescription down to CVS every month for the rest of my life. No. Maybe I had commitment issues. Like that was a big no for me. And because I already had these sort of rumbles of mistrust or suspicion around, you know, the quality of evidence for given interventions that are very routinely accepted by, you know, female populations, I went to a naturopath. And in going to a naturopath, I, and she is very erudite and academic and intelligent. It was just the right fit for me and my pre-existing biases around so-called alternative medicine. And because of the dietary interventions that we engaged, I put my Hashimoto's into remission. So that was the beginning of the end of my allegiance and collusion with compliance around allopathic medicine you know, so-called mommy medicine, right? I took my sword out of its sheath and, you know, took out a $2 million life insurance policy and decided I was going to take, you know, the industry down single-handedly, publish a book with an exploding pill on the cover, you know, that ended up as a New York Times grassroots, New York Times bestseller. I still don't even understand how that happened because there has not been a mention of this book in mainstream media, including now there's like, you know, some kind of a scandal going on surrounding my co-writer, I don't know the details, but a friend of mine said, you know, your book is still not mentioned. It's like literally he said radioactive, too funny. So that was the beginning of my expansion into the identity of the activist, the world saver, and my rebellion against the parentified authority of medicine. I had another rupture with this very identity, with the experience of my activism after my mentor, Nick Gonzalez, died. And I was able to experience an initiation of sorts to my own self-generated safety because he was somebody who provided tremendous amounts of safety to my system. I always thought, you know, if I ever gotten any sort of trouble, he'd be there for me. And he would know the answer. He knew all the answers. Like he's just, if anybody knew him, he just knew all the answers. I don't know how else to put it. And when he passed, I had an experience of taking charge of myself, my own inner safety and my process. And I decided then that I wanted to choose what felt good. And I was no longer interested in you know, fighting the monsters and becoming them. And I'd gotten to this very dark place of recognizing that the people who were at the helm of the activist fight against the pharmaceutical industry and its associated offers <laughs> were angry, were bitter, had dysfunctional relationships. These are very hurt people, myself included. And who are we to say that we know how it's supposed to look? We don't. We're so consumed with the erotic caress of the enemy, with this obsession with what the enemy is up to and the role that we play, that if we actually were to somehow win, the loss of that identity would probably be too great to bear. So that there is a perpetuating energy that is not unlike 
allopathy itself, which I always say essentially propagates and sustains that which it purports to resolve. Think about acid blockers or antidepressants or antibiotics. They literally generate the chronic conditions that they promise to resolve acutely. So the divergence there for me was that I began to focus on what felt good, which was the testimonials and the outcomes and the celebration of what is possible. And so I started to publish medical literature and I started to focus on really showcasing the stories of people who had come in to their sense of self through these portals of rupture as I had. So how can your own self-healing help you to embody your purpose? You can reveal your powerful nature, your essence, and attract community around you with divine truth elixir. You can be fearlessly authentic and transparent, commit to yourself and your vision. This is the beautiful intersection between self-expression and service. And a blend by my friend Katie Hess at Lotus Way includes Rose and Palo Santo. This flower elixir is potent and it's really meant to heal the healers. Take a moment to pause, set your intention, and allow the flowers to work with you. It's time to honor a deeper level of devotion to our own visions and ourselves in service. That Venn diagram of fulfillment is possible. And when we work with these energetic remedies, it's like a remembrance for our systems. Super powerful. So head to lotusway.com and use the code Kelly15 for 15% off. The link is in show notes for you. And then (laughs) there was yet another rupture. And there were micro ruptures all, you know, throughout this timeline. And this one was after my last marriage ended. And it's not to suggest that the ending of my first marriage, I'm probably still processing that. Not probably. When I had the intuitive hit to cut my hair off last year, I sat in the chair. And as I, you know, watched this woman cut into about a foot from the tips of my hair, I began to grieve and mourn. And I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't about cutting my hair. Because once I decide that I'm aligned with an impulse, I'm all in. It was about the conditions of my first marriage ending and breaking up a family and the pain that really is ceaseless. You know, and I think most of you who have separated from or divorced from the, the father of your or mother of your children know what I'm talking about, that there is something lost there that now you could argue I am on a mission to help women really work to sustain in a way that I didn't appreciate and couldn't appreciate. And this was my path and all the things, but there is a hindsight that is, it's achy, it's achy. So anyway, after my second marriage ended and I trusted that I was meant to go somewhere, you know, that could not be capacitated by that container. I began to explore as many of you have probably seen because I chose to do it very publicly, began to explore a lot of the ways that I had understood I was allowed to be a woman. And I began to rattle that cage for myself, within myself. And I began to call women into my lifescape 
who were womaning differently than me and seemingly with way more permission to experience pleasure and silliness and, you know, disinhibition and fun and audacity, which has become, of course, my favorite word. I've done several events by that title at this point. And simply in trusting these connections and trusting the inspiration that I felt when I would spend time around these women, dancers and singers and artists, many of whom could have easily been my patients, right? So the archetype of the the woman who found herself caught in the gears of psychiatry and became one of my patients was almost always somebody who is not conventionally considered to be a major contributor to society, right? So is not a doctor and is not a lawyer, not what Nick Gonzalez would call a sympathetic dominant, but instead a parasympathetic dominant. So the visionaries and the creatives and the bohemian types. And I found myself exploring a lot of the shame that I didn't know I had, right? I was the gal who I remember this experience one time in a Kundalini class, the teacher said, I know that we all struggle with insecurity. Raise your hand if you do. And I was the only one in the class who didn't raise my hand because I thought of myself, because I have all of these adaptive defenses that fit the demands and expectations of the dominant orthodoxy. I thought of myself as confident. Meanwhile, I was really just an example of what so many women are, which is somebody who was heavily curating and performing and managing successfully. But nonetheless, I was left with a feeling that now I see is coming up for transformation for so many of us and that I aim to address with this book, with this offering of living behind a glass wall. I was left with this experience of even the most celebratory moments of my life, somehow feeling hollow. And in the health and wellness world, you know, I recognize that you could eat all the right things, biohack until you've got 30 wellness gadgets strapped to you and fistfuls of supplements, you're ice bathing, you're eye gazing, you're drinking your urine. <laughs> but if your life force is locked in the vault of your specifically sexual shame, because your sexual energy, your eros is your connection to the animating dimension of your humanity. And it requires visiting with your rejected parts. If this is locked up, you will never actually feel well. And your imposter syndrome will grow and grow and grow and start to hurt and hurt and hurt more, such that the invitation will be laid bare before you to begin to come home to yourself and to engage that soul retrieval that is archetypal. It's designed this way. Right? So we as women have been so disconnected from ourselves that we actually need help womaning. <laughs> we were raised and praised for doing, for achieving, for planning, for organizing, for executing. And we began to identify with our persona in such a way that we disconnected from our essence. And now we're at this place where perhaps for the first time in human history, we have turned against our instinct as mothers 
and our intuition and spiritual connection as women. And we need help reorienting. That's how we can look to each other because I know that we can remember together. It just is a feeling when you have come into this kind of alignment, even just for moments at a time, you have that feeling of, oh yeah, (laughs) this is what I came here for. The mother wound, as I would call it, that all of us, I don't know, most of us (laughs) suffer with and from leads us to programs and patterns of control, of perfectionism, and our performer and our manager is never resting, never ceasing. At work, in the bedroom, we don't ever exhale. And we are wired and tired. We're flailing. And we are choosing men who say, whatever you want, honey, instead of here's what's best in an attuned and secure way. We compete with men and we compete with women. And that means that nowhere in the world is safe. So sometimes we even get the things that we want and it feels like nothing. So we don't know if we can trust our desire. We don't feel in alignment with the expression of God through this vessel, which is our feminine desire, our feminine heart. And we end up living in narrow bands of emotions and we get into loops of bitterness, resentment, disappointment, and our bodies take those shapes. Now, when I look back at videos you know, even from five years ago, there is so much stiffness in my body. And as somebody who has loved to dance since I was little and spent many years as a ballerina in my formative years, the metric for my evolution at this point is how languid, how soft, how supple, how slow can I move my body? And it is way more challenging than one would imagine. I can look at a woman and I can see where her shame is stored in her body. I can see where that tightness, where that pain lives. We can perceive this. I was, I tell the story, I was in a store the other day and I was waiting, right? It was a computer store and I was waiting. And apparently I had my like resting bitch face on and which is something that has vastly improved thanks to my facial lymphatic massage self-care. However, apparently had a lapsed moment and this older gentleman gave me a note as he was leaving. And the note said, smile, you are beautiful. God bless you. And I recognized in that moment that my energetic constriction was probably on some level painful to him. And that's why he asked me to smile because when a woman's body is not animated by this heart energy, and it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be like some happy puppets. That's not the point. The point is when we disconnect, it's felt. And there's some sort of a little tear that happens in the fabric of the collective. And that's why I am so passionate about this reclamation about this reconnection, about this remembrance as being the most powerful form of world changing. You want to be an activist? You want there to be more you know, justice in the world? You want things to make sense? You want to create an environment for your children 
this is, in my opinion, and having studied many paths and walked many paths, this is the way. It requires the inner work of collecting our parts, resolving and transforming the shame, and claiming the gifts that are awaiting us behind these constrictions. We often take the bait of believing that something is wrong with us. In fact, this is conditioned in our childhood because it's the only way you can maintain any locus of control. When you are experiencing abuse or injury or violation, you say, well, it must be me. Because for you to say, well, it's my bad daddy or my bad mommy at that point, that's an adolescent stage later. When you say it at that point, I mean, you're living in a hellscape, right? So if you insist (laughs) that your mommy is good and your daddy is good, and it's just something that you can change about yourself and you can strive to do so and do that tap dance of, am I good now? Am I good now? Am I good now? Then you carry that because we are not initiated into your adulthood. And you believe that something is actually deeply damaged and wrong with you. Right. So I sometimes joke that one of my core beliefs is that I'm crazy. I actually think most women have adopted this core belief. And that's why I invested a lot in sitting on the right side of the psychiatrist's desk so that nobody would notice. Right. And that's also why a lot of my initiation over the past couple of years involved so many people imagining that I really had lost it, really had taken it too far. Now you've taken it too far, Kelly. (laughs) So I know how many women carry this deep belief that something is wrong with them because I medicated these women for a living. And I reify that belief. And I said, you know, you just take this pill bottle, it has your name on it. And every day they would be reminded, oh yeah, something is wrong with me, but I'm doing exactly what I need to, to, you know, comply and be obedient. So this has been a full circle process for me to recognize that there is indeed, at least from my perspective, an order of operations from the reclamation of health and your relationship to your body which I think of through my program, Vital Mind Reset, as being a masculine initiation. I actually believe there is a specific order of operations within each stage. And I've seen what it looks like firsthand and through the observation of thousands of women walking this path. First, you reclaim your health, and then there is the opportunity to reclaim your femininity and your eros, your life force from behind these shame walls. So in this book, I have every intention to give you the proper brainwashing, (laughs) a joke, that is required for you to defrag a lot of secret places where your beliefs and the dominant narrative has kept you arrested in a very small box that says this is the kind of woman you can be and that you're allowed to be while your soul is kicking and screaming in that space. And after the brainwashing, I will give you my distilled and curated tips for how to practice and stabilize your no, which I believe comes first, and then how to align with and honor your yes. And 
some of the other things that we will explore and unearth together include, I'm just going to give you a little rally list here, why victim consciousness is the only human disease. I've said this many times. I say it's the only human pathology and how to stop feeling like your life is one big complaint. How feminism was the greatest bait and switch of all time. (laughs) Why you feel like you're living behind a glass wall. Why imagining that there is a proper, right, and good way to be a woman is a trap. How to walk through your life initiations with curiosity and confidence and use them to claim your creatrix gifts. Why coming into your feminine, quote unquote, doesn't work. And why all the love, light, and rose petals in the world will never leave you feeling like a wild woman goddess, in my opinion. What it takes to finally end the war with men and self-husband like a woman with exquisite boundaries. Why hating on other people is a deep spiritual practice. (laughs) Why we do, in fact, get off on our pain. Why shadow hunting can become your favorite sport radical permission and why it matters to your sense of self, ways to feel contained and offer nervous system safety so you always feel like you've got you, why getting what we want can feel anticlimactic, the art of audacious embodiment and how to make art and express from your greatest gifts as a woman, and how to get to the place where you have nothing unsaid and unexpressed in your lifescape. So because I am a provocateur and I have an enduring mischievous side that I now embrace, I want this to be the grassroots movement that the pharma reclamation I contributed to in 2016 was. I want to see your faces. Those of you who are on this path to feminine reclamation and know that it requires a firm and stable foundation of health reclamation, medical freedom, and bodily sovereignty. Because I have found myself, because I like it, (laughs) the black sheep of the health reclamation world and wellness activism space. I am the only one I know really speaking to the erotic, the sexual, and what this archetype switching of the feminine journey and process can possibly look like. And then in the feminine embodiment world, I am one of the only ones who is interested in, you know, looking behind the veil of the dominant narrative and exploring the story behind the story, who, you know, questions and engages in deep inquiry around so-called truth. And I know that I am not the only one. I know that there are so many of you women because I have met you and I know that you vibe what it is to bring these worlds into a beautiful Venn diagram of personal expression. And I want to see your faces. I want you to stand with me and I want to create a pattern disrupt for the collective that I know this book can spearhead. I hope that it serves you. I hope that it makes you laugh and smile and maybe cry and also feel this moment of opportunity that we are all stepping into together. I'll see you soon.